1: Welcome back to The Peripheral. Thank you to all my Patreon supporters and everyone who supports the show. On this week's episode, I speak with Rob, who is a dedicated father. He's diligent, organized, and would do anything in his power for his children. Rob finds himself being a foreigner in a foreign land. Living abroad anywhere is going to have its challenges. When the most terrible thing happens, your child becomes sick. All the inconveniences, all the different things that you have to overcome on a normal day become huge barriers. The lengths that Rob goes to for his daughter are astounding. All the second-guessing, self-blame, and regrets that followed when all of his efforts could not prevent what ended up happening to him. Normally on many of these stories, I will edit them down to just get the story out. Rob has many asides, many additional things that happened to him while he was living abroad. And I felt they were absolutely necessary to paint a picture of his environment, to paint a picture of what he had to go through. I want to personally thank Rob for sharing his story with me. The time we spent talking was amazing, emotional, and I just can't say enough good things. I hope Rob the best. Uh, A big shout out to all the guests that I've had on the show thus far. It takes a lot of courage and bravery to share your story, no matter what it's about. They're really the ones that are the show. I feel I just give them a place to tell their story.
2: So, was I wrong or am I right? Is this like the most prepared podcast you've ever had
1: before? <laughs> this is the most prepared. Um, well, I, I just
2: it to make it easier. I mean, I don't know what you want to touch on,
1: but yeah, this is um, this is a crazy story, and I don't know anything about living abroad. Do you want to just introduce yourself and where you're at now? Okay.
2: Yeah, my name's Rob. Uh, I I lived in China for ten years. Um, from 2002 to 2012, I used to live in upstate New York and have currently returned to upstate New York. I probably would still be in China, except that my wife and I, we had a daughter named Annie who passed away, uh, July of 2012. And the story around her passing away is perhaps a little bit interesting or even disturbing at some level. Uh, and I just wanted to try to share her story with some people and I contacted Justin to see if he was willing to do it And we decided to give it a try
1: you moved to China so many years back I, I don't know why why you would move there, but um, but you did have your wife out there So what all were the reasons for you moving out there?
2: Well, actually uh, I was married in America to an American and uh, we had a separation and it was uh, extremely nasty. For example, she, you know, called in uh, child abuse reports on me, things like that, that were unfounded just to try to make my life miserable. I used to run my own business, so this was sort of a problem. But basically, it just got to the point where the best thing for me to do was just to go, which I did. Uh, I did have two children with her. You know, if I could have gone to Mars or something like that, if they sold an airplane ticket to Mars, I would have gone there. But China was the farthest away I could go. So basically, I packed up two bags and $50,000, which is all that I had, and went to China without knowing how to speak the language, not really knowing anybody there. Gave it a shot. That's where I ended up in July of 2002. So I lived in China for... Uh, you know, for many years I taught. Uh, I was in IT before I went to China. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to China, I taught English, which is what a lot of people do when they go overseas. So I taught English for several years, and then uh, ended up actually going back into IT. I met my my current wife in 2007. My divorce had already finalized at that point, so we ended up finding out that we had a baby due in. January of 2009 and we got married in May of 2009
1: I'm sure the culture shock of moving out there. I mean, I'm sure that finding a job all that was pretty scary Was it nice when you finally met your wife and had somebody to go through this with?
2: Well, I'm I'm a pretty sociable person pretty I make friends really easy I don't usually get too stressed out about being in an unfamiliar uh, environment so You know, China was uh, a lot of fun. It was super interesting. It was new, just about something new every day, some good things, some bad things, but new every day. Mm -hmm. And I I really did enjoy it. Um, Plus, you know, back in those days, early 2000s, a foreigner in China China was sort of like a a, a special event. Like, for example, if I would uh, eat at a restaurant, let's say I'd be sitting by the window, and the sidewalk is outside, and Mm -hmm. I'm eating some food in the restaurant, Now, this is back in the early 2000s. I don't think it happens anymore, but there would be a crowd of people outside watching me eat food. That's the way it was when I was over there.
0: That's so weird. So, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, you know, so you got a lot of attention. A lot of people wanted to make friends with you. So it it was pretty easy. And I lived in a place called Nanjing in China, which was a college town. There was a lot of universities there. So there was a lot of people that spoke English. So it, it was pretty, pretty easy to live there. This is, of course, back in the 2000s. You can get a furnished apartment, maybe 800 square foot, 700 square foot on the 33rd floor of a high rise, fully furnished um, for $250 a month. Oh, wow. So the the cost of living is very low. Um, Fantastic food. I mean, food in an American Chinese restaurant is nothing like food in the worst real Chinese restaurant in China.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's sort of like this, like if you go, I mean, do you think a McDonald's hamburger is a real hamburger?
1: No. <laughs> and,
2: right. Yeah. And that's exactly how it is in China. You know, I mean, if you think that some Chinese food that you get at a Chinese restaurant in, in America is real Chinese food, it's the same kind of comparison. There, there's, there's none. I did not return to America for 10 years. I did go to Japan and Korea and Hong Kong during that time because I had to renew my visa during that those ten years. It was quite the culture shock when I came back. Now in, in China I especially, you know, in later years, so in two thousand nine when my wife and I got married and we bought a house which was actually you know, there really is no houses in China, they're generally apartment buildings. So we had an apartment which is on the fifth and sixth floor of an apartment building. You know, when you buy a house in China it's just bare concrete walls, no plumbing no electric nothing no flooring so I I redid the whole house in an American style uh, with like no Chinese characteristics at all so it was sort of like my little my little cave my little American cave (laughs) uh, in China sort of gave me some security and peace of mind after my my daughter passed away who was about just about two and three-quarter years old when she passed away in China my wife and I really haven't been back to that house. We've pretty much abandoned it mm-hmm. at this point.
1: Did you sell it or just
2: No, well what happened is after she passed away, you know, which was unexpected, we didn't know it all took thirty days yeah. from the beginning to the end. And those thirty days were in you know at hospitals and so on the whole time. You know, my wife was a basket case, of course, and I put everything that was Annie's stuff into her room and locked the door. Uh, you know, every Crayon every, you know, little toy and coloring book book, you know um, Everything was just put into a room and locked up and that's that's how it is still today Mm -hmm. What five years later
1: was Annie showing any signs or symptoms of trouble before? like months or weeks before
2: well, she actually passed away in It would have been like about the second of Well, She had her stroke Mm -hmm. on the 2nd of July 2012 but uh, she started getting leg pain and arm pain um, in like November of two thousand eleven, and she also started getting some rashes. So of course, we're in in China, so we we contact you know we go to the hospitals there, the local hospital. my My wife had a an aunt that was a sort of like a pediatrician style doctor talk, called her on the phone, and they pretty much said that you know these pains were. Related to growing like growing pains Mm -hmm. and That the rashes were probably related to you know a food allergy or something like that So it did start, you know about eight months before she actually passed um, And it just progressively got worse and worse But yeah, that was we didn't really know how serious serious it was until probably two days before she passed away We we thought it was just an infection
1: you see a pediatrician first it doesn't improve now. You're having to take her to
2: hospitals. You know, the healthcare in China is a little crazy So let me just go into this a bit there. There's really no doctor's office. It's all done through the hospital so You know if you have a problem you go to the hospital, you don't make an appointment you If it's an, if it's an emergency room thing, of course you go to the emergency room at the hospital but if it's if you're if you want to see a regular doctor you just go to the hospital and go to their office Um, Because of this there's you're gonna see a different doctor each time and there's no continuity of care So, you know if you have a problem on Tuesday and you see dr. Wong on Tuesday You might see dr. Chen on Wednesday, and they have no idea who you are or anything about your case you do carry around a, a Book a hospital book which they put notes in but my general experience is is that one doctor can't read the other doctor's notes so it's pretty worthless. The other sort of strange thing about healthcare in China is that when you go see the doctor, it's not in a private situation. So what happens is you walk into the room where the doctor is and there might be four or five other people or families or patients waiting around his desk. You wait in line right in the room so you can hear everything that the current patient is explaining or discussing with the doctor you know, you see other people have like their ears cocked trying to hear every little detail. So there's no privacy at all, uh, which is uh, totally different from America. The The cost is really low. I mean, to see a doctor can run anything anywhere from 50 cents to three dollars, basically. But you really have no idea what their qualifications are. I mean, they don't have anything posted on the wall. You don't really you don't know anything about these people. In the beginning, when Annie got sick or started having these problems, we would take her to the local hospital, and they would you know, do their thing, and they would generally prescribe an antibiotic or possibly give her an IV. IVs are a big thing in China. You get an IV for everything. You know, they think you have a cold, you get an IV. You have a hangover, you get an IV. You have a stub toe, you get an IV. Now, I know I'm exaggerating to a certain extent, but IVs are a big business in China. That's how they treat you.
1: That's just just step
2: one in treatment. (laughs) Right. They go right to IV. They go right to an antibiotic. Yes, in the beginning, you know, around Christmas and into the early, you know, the spring of 2012, we would go to the local hospital. They would pretty much say, you know, she has an infection. Here's an antibiotic. You know, take some Tylenol and that kind of stuff for her fevers. They would do like a CBC or general blood work so like no tests for like rheumatoid arthritis or anything like that. Uh, no antibody testing, nothing like that. But as I mentioned, my wife knew an aunt. Now when I say aunt in China, you have to understand that doesn't mean a real aunt. That just means a family friend.
1: Okay. Okay. So my brother,
2: I, I might call you my brother, but you're not really my brother. You're just a close friend. So she had an aunt that was a, like a pediatric nurse, and they would discuss on the phone. And pretty much the attitude was that Annie's pain was from growing pains. She was a pretty tall kid, so, you know, it sort of made sense. So what happened is that, you know, we constantly were battling with these fevers and rashes that covered her entire body. So when I was over in China, I uh, started listening to a lot of religious podcasts and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I never really had a, a history of being very religious, you know, to any extent. And I got uh, pretty much, you know, to the born again level, where I thought that, you know, my sins were forgiven, my past sins, that, um, you know, that it was God against the devil. You know, in China, uh, there's very little moral compass of the Chinese people, very little. So when I was over there, probably part of the reason that I went to this extent of listening to a lot of sermons and trying to find some guidance in my life as far as how I was going to present myself to the world. It was because I continuously every day ran into people that I just thought had no level of moral compass or the golden rule or treat others like you wish that that they would treat you or anything like that. I I used to listen to Timothy Keller and Mark Driscoll. Some people might hear have heard of these people before. Very close to the time that Annie really started to get bad, probably. So this would have been in May or early June. I was out of my patio and I said a prayer that more or less said to the devil and to God that I would work with God to do everything that I could do to take the devil down in China, because I, I really felt there was a lot of evil in China. And there's stories I can go into about that. But I, that's what I said. Yeah. Strangely enough, within the next hour... Annie had her worst attack ever. We took her to the local hospital and they treated her again for having an infection. After she was at the local hospital for the infection that was done outpatient, she came home and she continued to have a lot of fevers, rashes, pain. So we were gonna have to go to another hospital. So we were at the local hospital. Now we were gonna go to the the County seat Hospital, which is in Yentai. And it's about an hour away. You know, I had to go to the bank and take some money out and stuff like that. And as I was walking down the street, I fell into a manhole up to my armpits.
1: How has that happened? That seems just crazy thing to happen
2: right now. It was just it was bizarre. It was just like, you know, my I fell into this manhole up to my armpits. My shoes came off, fell, fell down into the manhole. Luckily, I didn't fall in. Nobody helped me. I pulled myself out. I went into this, the place that the manhole was in front of. They wouldn't talk to me. They wouldn't give me any any help. And so that was just a, a crazy occurrence.
1: But I've seen video of people walking across the street or on like a scooter and then a car hits them and then they're in the middle of the street laying there dying. Hundreds of people will just go around them and their bleeding body. And it just seems incredible to me that it's nobody wants to help.
2: <laughs> well, that's sort of what happened with me. I wanted to know. Well, with the manhole, the cover was on it. and When I stepped on it, it flipped over. Okay. It was a round cover, but it like flipped. Yeah. And that's how I fell in. But when I went into the the establishment that was, you know, in front of this, the sidewalk where the manhole was, and I wanted to know, you know, first off, could somebody help me get my shoes out of there? And second off, you know, who owns this building? Who's responsible for this? Whatever. They just, they didn't want to talk to me. They didn't care. And I actually called the police. The police came and said they could do nothing about it. Uh, needless to say, I mean, I was pretty disgusted. But, I, you know, I had been through a lot of other things there, too. So, you know, when I mentioned before about, you know, being in China in the beginning where a foreigner was back in 2002, 2003, 2004, where a foreigner was sort of, you know, held up or respected or at least, um, you know, uh, something that was – were.
1: exotic and, and kind of yeah, after. something yeah. like that yeah.
2: by the time 2011 2012 rolled around china had changed a lot there's a lot more nationalism in china there's a lot more instances of foreigners you know doing crazy things coming to china and causing damage to the you know going against cultural norms things like that and the other weird thing that happened is that you know we had a fish tank that had uh I don't know, it was like 12 15 uh, Chinese goldfish in it so this fish tank was about 250 gallons and I took care of it quite well it by my front door all these um, fish in one night all died now you have to understand this was really bizarre because the fish in our house w- you know was a, a sign of um, success a sign of uh, healthiness a sign of of prosperity and to have all the fish die in one night was shocking.
1: And it's it, like it a just, sign of bad luck.
2: Exactly. So then, you know, we ended up going to Yentai. And, we, and this is in the beginning of, of uh, June. So um, the month before Annie passed away, 2012. And she was there for about two weeks. Actually, two separate visits where she received antibiotics. As far as I know, there was no culture done, no blood culture done. There was really no... Testing it was pretty much a well. Let's give it a shot. Let's try this antibiotic we continued on to The third hospital which was in Qingdao, but uh, let me take a, a little break a little bit and explain to you a little bit about Hospitalization in China how in, it works in the,
1: in the payment process because that seemed very odd to me
2: Sure. Well the thing is is that in China when you go to the hospital you need to pay for everything before you receive the service so They're basically not going to do anything for you unless you've paid for it. So let's say that you need to have – you need an IV and you need a bag with the medication in it. Either you or a family member has to go down to – go to the pharmacy, find out what the cost is for the medication, for the tubing and so on. Go to the cashier's desk, wait in line at the cashier's desk usually, pay that money, go back to the pharmacy, pick up the medicine and bring the medicine and the tubing up to the room yourself. So if you are admitted to a hospital in China and you don't have family, you're basically screwed because you would have to be the one that would have to run around everywhere to do all these things. If you need a CAT scan, if you need an X-ray, if you need any procedure done, it all has to be paid for ahead of time. Now, in some cases, you can put down a, you know, a large deposit, which will make it easier.
1: Like a credit line. Right.
2: Yeah. But, you know, so you can put down, like, for example, when we did that, when we were in Beijing, we started off with 10,000 RMB deposit, which was about $2,000 just to make things easier. And we would just constantly refill that. And the nurse in China is not there for you. The nurse is there for the doctor. The nurse will do the procedures that need to be done. But, you know, you you don't call the nurse and ask for water. The nurse isn't going to come up and pull you up on the bed. They're not going to fix your bed. They're not going to fluff your pillow for you. They're not going to do any of that. That's not their job. That's the family's job. In fact, the bed has no blanket usually or just a very thin one, no pillow for sure. So if you want a pillow, you got to bring your own. There's no p- food provided. You have to somebody has to go down and get your food for you and bring it to your room.
1: It seems incredible if if you were bleeding and dying in the street, would you just end up dying in the hospital because you wouldn't have a way to pay because you're unconscious or whatever.
2: Well, I have a story I can tell you. This is back when I was in Nanjing in 2000. This is probably like around 2004 or so. And I came down with uh, bronchitis or you know possibly pneumonia. I'm not sure. And I went to the hospital uh, with a friend of mine. And they, of course, what did they prescribe to me? An IV, right? So uh, I was sitting in the room with my friend receiving this IV. It was penicillin and I had never had a reaction to penicillin in my whole life. But as I was sitting there uh, getting this IV in the IV room, which is just a bunch of chairs and people sitting in them and you get your IV, uh, I, I nodded out or passed out or whatever you want to call it. And my friend, thank God, reached over and just pulled the IV site right out of my arm, just yanked it right out. So of course they you know, screamed for the nurse, course I'm out I don't this is I just heard this afterwards but you know they bought a gurney in put me on the gurney brought me to the emergency room I guess they gave me some oxygen and I woke up and I was looking at a nurse when I woke up and I said what happened and they said my Chinese I could understand enough you know they said you passed out and this and I said oh and then the next thing they said is you need to pay the bill
1: that's that's all that matters to them is right
2: yeah right so i mean, it's like I literally got handed the bill and even though I had been, you know, just seconds ago before passed out, the big problem at that point was that I had to go to the cashier and pay the bill.
1: Because if you died, so, they'd be left with the, the cost of this. So you have to pay this bill, right? I mean, it right, just makes right. sense. Jeez.
2: <laughs> so, it, so it does show that they will do something in an emergency situation if needed, but they're pretty, pretty worried about the bill. And, and, and I guess American hospitals are the same way, but they're maybe not so blatant about it
1: but but if your friend hadn't pulled the iv out and you had died there
2: yeah there was no nobody watching the room i mean there was no supervision Mm -hmm. so you know that's just another example that you really need to have somebody with you
1: so you're there with your daughter and you're having to run downstairs make these payments for every little thing and your your daughter's Having all these issues. I can't even imagine in a stressful situation having to deal with the bureaucracy and red tape of it all
2: And There's really long lines now, you know, and in, in Yentai, I mean first off the hospital in my hometown Can I swear in this podcast? Oh, you
1: can swear all you want
2: <laughs> Okay, so the the hospital in my home in my hometown is was the dirtiest shithole that I've ever been in in my life in a medical facility mm-hmm. I mean, it was just unbelievable uh the the hospital in yentai that annie was at uh in the beginning of um june pretty much you know the beginning of her 30-day cycle was uh a lot better but you know the thing is is that they really didn't take any steps to really find out what was wrong with her you know that was sort of the the frustrating part of it all was that you know oh it's a it's a It's an infection. Here's another antibiotic. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's try a stronger one. Mm -hmm. You know, with no blood cultures, no real lab workups. I mean, I don't even know if they know how to do that or not. And I have some proof of that from a later experience. But so, in when we were in Yentai, you know, it was just the biggest frustration was, you know, we were out in the hallway on a stretcher with a whole bunch of other kids, and just having to, you know, wait around with Annie, you know, for ten or 12 days or whatever it was why she received IVs every day, uh, you know We really weren't worried at that point about her. We didn't think that she was really that sick We were just you know, we just thought that you know, oh, she does she has a bad infection She's gonna get better or she's having you know,
1: a, a reaction to something
2: yeah. or something. Yeah, some seafood, you know She liked seafood, you know, I mean you have to remember too in China There's a lot of problems with the food, you know, there's things like fake eggs or rice that's made out of plastic that looks just like rice. And you don't know, I mean, I'm not saying that we ever bought this stuff, obviously. You know, there's meat that's treated with chemicals that, uh, especially pork, has a lot of uh, adulterations in it. You know, I'll I'll tell you a a story. There was a, a gentleman that was a medicine salesperson, you know, for a medicine provider. His product was blood plasma which is very expensive. Okay. But it's used for people that have burns or, you know, very severe kinds of like injuries. And it was discovered that for a period of a little bit less than a year, he was selling colored water with plasticizer instead of the blood plasma. Wouldn't that kill people? either kill him or certainly wouldn't give him the treatment that they needed. And, you know, this is one time that the Chinese government stepped up because when he was discovered and, and convicted of this, they killed him. He was, he was executed. So one of the things in China is that, you know, as far as there being a reaction to something like that, so, you know, does Annie have an infection? We don't really know. As far as it being a reaction to some food or the water or even the air where we lived in, so in, the, in our hometown, there was, you know, a couple coal generation plants. Um, and we pretty much lived upstream from that as far as the way that the air blew. But, you know, you could see this, you know, horrendous smoke coming out of these things. And you would wonder, uh, you know, and I think everybody's seen recently the, the air in Beijing yeah. and all the, the talk about pollution in China. And, you know, there's some data that you know, like I said, I don't have a reference for this, but I, I, I know you can find it if you looked at, you know, the, this pollution contributes to, you know, 100,000 or 50,000 or whatever deaths a year in China just due to the pollution. I mean, one of the things that when I brought my wife back to America for the first time and she got off the plane and this is in Newark, New Jersey. OK. And she stepped out, you know, out of the airport. Yeah. And she was like, my God, the air so clean. And this is in Newark. <laughs>
1: this is not a place where I would think the the air is clean. Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: You know, I've been back to China a few times since my daughter passed away. And, you know, we would just get off the air the airplane in China after living in America. And we're like, wow, this just like it smells like gasoline.
1: Just chemicals.
2: Right. So, you know, as far as Annie having problems because of A reaction to something, you know, it certainly, you know, it entered our mind and and we tried to buy the best food that we could. And, you know, I was I was a baker at that point. I used to bake a lot of my own bread and things like that at home. But, you know, that was certainly, you know, it it made sense to us. It made sense. She had growing pains. So she had pains in her in her knees and in her elbows. Uh, It made sense to us that her rashes were from a reaction. You know, she was a blonde, light skinned girl. Um, and you know, sometimes people that are like that tend to, you know, they, they can react to things that made sense. The fevers. Okay. She has an infection. She has a bad cold. It all made sense. We thought, you know, this is something that we'll get through. This isn't a big deal. But after the, the two weeks in Yentai, and this is, um, the middle of June, 2012,
1: you have no idea what's wrong with her. No, we don't. And nobody else does either.
2: It, it, It just continued. So my wife is like, let's go to Qingdao. So Chindao is a bigger, is like the, you know, one of the biggest cities in the province that we lived in, you know, like the, the state. We had a driver. I didn't own a car at that point, but we just had a driver with a car that he would provide and checked into the hospital at Qingdao. So when we got to Qingdao, they were a little bit more thorough. They did some blood tests and Annie's white blood cell count. And this is the first time we really heard this. Um, We didn't hear this in Yentai or in the local hospital, was greater than 30, which is very high for a white blood cell count. And she also had a a very elevated thing called a SED rate, which is a sedimentation rate. So what what that means is they put your blood into a container, into a, a test tube that's marked with like millimeters. So they put a certain amount of blood in there and they let it sit. And they see how much sediment, more or less, is in your blood. And she had excessive sediment in her blood. So dead blood cells, proteins, things like that. The doctor in Chindao at first thought that she had something called Kawasaki disease. Kawasaki disease is the, the reason for it is unknown, but it does cause, you know, these lab results. But it has a sign to it, which is a bright strawberry-colored tongue. And Annie didn't have that. And I questioned him about that to a certain extent, but he decided to treat her for that anyways. So, what he ended up giving her was interferon. So, interferon is like a. That's harsh. Um,
1: That's like chemotherapy almost, right?
2: Pretty much, yeah. A whole bunch of steroids, uh, obviously, Tylenol, antibiotics, things like that. So, she continued to deteriorate. I mean, we were there, I don't know, about seven days or so. So, this is the end of the month in June of 2012. And, you know, we just felt like. You know, she wasn't getting better. They seemed confused, unsure of what was going on. So my wife said, we need to give them a red bag.
1: What exactly is a
2: red bag? Okay, so a red bag is a bribe. This is pretty common in China for a lot of things. And it's pretty common in the healthcare industry. So what that means is that you basically, you literally put it into a red bag, a red plastic bag, a red paper bag, preferably. That's the custom. Yeah, yeah and you present this to your doctor or healthcare professionals so that they give your case more attention. How- now, this is discouraged by the Chinese government and they've been trying to get doctors to stop doing this, but it still exists. So, I went with my wife and we offered the doctor 10,000 RMB, which is about $1500 in the in the red bag, and he refused it. So, of course, you know, in China in a lot of cultures it's like, please take this, no, I don't want it, please take this, no, I don't want it, please take this, no, I don't want it, you know, then you put it in their pocket, you know, and then they take it out of their pocket, and then you there's this like this game that goes back and forth where you try to get somebody to take one of these things,
1: yeah, it's like a weird ritual of them, right, you know, and it's kind of them sort of covering their ass of. I'm not taking a bribe, but you're forcing me to take it. Or I would never do this because I'm a good person. I also heard that they will give you misinformation to appease you. Say, oh, well, I've changed your flight for this airplane, even though they haven't, just to make you feel good and go away. And then when you go to the other flight, there's no change, and you're stuck and stranded. Like they're, it's very appeasing and non-confrontational. <laughs> I don't know. if that's yeah. Well,
2: I mean, the, here's yeah. the here's my general thing about that was a, a confrontation in China. Just a quick story is so I, I had an apartment and I was going to be leaving this apartment. Of course, the landlord wanted to bring people over to see it, right, to, to possibly rent the apartment. So I told him, I said, you know, you can come after eight o'clock at night, you know, between eight and ten at night. That's fine. But he kept on coming at all hours of the day. You know, sometimes I'm in the bathroom, I'm not dressed, whatever. Yeah. So I kept on telling him, please don't do this, right? So one day that he brought somebody over, somebody knocked on the door. I opened the door. It's him standing there with a tenant. And I basically said, Gwen, which means piss off in Chinese. And, you know, which is a pretty strong word to use to, to somebody that you know. Especially and,
1: your landlord.
2: <laughs> right. And slammed the door in his face, Okay. The thing is, is that now it became about what I did, what my response was to him, because I didn't give him face with his tenant, his new tenant. Didn't make any difference that he came, you know, at a time that he shouldn't have come and I wasn't ready for it and didn't know. That made no difference at all. And that's how it is in China with confrontations on a lot of different levels.
1: And that's just the way their their culture works. So I, I get it. I don't really agree with it, but I get it.
2: <laughs> no, and the same thing's true even with my with my marriage, with my wife. She can I can she can do something wrong that I think is wrong. I can react to it the wrong way. And then it doesn't matter because I reacted to it the wrong the wrong way. The initial issue is doesn't make any difference at all. So but as far as the red bag stuff is concerned. So you know we we tried to get him to take this he wouldn't take it. Uh, you know, there was talk about giving more, you know, but we didn't really have, we didn't even have enough time to process that before she, Annie really went downhill really quickly. So what they did is they, they added in IV aspirin to her treatment, which is also, uh, used for severe inflammatory disorders. Mm -hmm. And there was some talk of, you know, that we need to take her to a different hospital. We approached the doctor and said we're going to take her to, to the best baby hospital in Beijing, children's hospital in Beijing. He um, really didn't agree with it very much, but he did, you know, sign off on it. And, of course, we wanted to fly from Qingdao to Beijing directly, but my luck, there was no flights available. Oh, so what we did is we called our driver again. He picked us up in Qingdao, and we drove back to our house in Longkou. About three hours
1: you're you've gone a couple weeks now already doctors to doctors to hospitals and now you're having to drive over three hours
2: well back to our house Mm -hmm. in Lungko, so that we can gather some money things like that and then go to the airport uh, near our house to fly to Beijing so we have this really sick kid okay who needs to go to a better hospital but there's no flight available from Chindao to Beijing so we had to drive in a car from Qingdao to our home and then fly from our home airport to Beijing. Of course when we got home Annie was home and she was so happy. She had been in the hospital for a month now. She hadn't been home. She you know went onto her bed and was so happy. She didn't want to leave. She you know she was peaceful. She didn't want to go, but we're like, Annie, you got to go. You got, we got to, you know, we're leaving in another two hours. We're only home for two hours. We're here to get, you know, clothes and money and documents because we're going to Beijing and that kind of stuff. And we're not staying. And she totally disagreed with that. But we forced her to get into the car again and drive about another hour, hour and 15 minutes to the local airport to take the flight to Beijing.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, she's, she's had IVs in her arm, people sticking her in this cold, bad place, and now she's finally got the comfort of her of her room, of her bed. She doesn't understand. Yeah,
2: and and, and she and she had more than that. She had her cats. We had four cats, um, which might seem weird, but we had you know uh, a Garfield kind of like cat, and we had a uh, mother cat who we had boarded at one time, and she got pregnant by mistake. This mother had a couple babies. We ended up keeping two of them, so that's where we got the four cats. We had a big apartment, a big house. So- And we had guinea pigs. My daughter and I used to raise guinea pigs. So we had any anywhere from five to 15 guinea pigs at a time. And we would raise guinea pigs, of course, not for food. We would take them to the local night market or whatever, and people would buy them as pets. And we would, you know, instruct them how to take care of them and that they needed, you know, citrus and because guinea pigs need vitamin C and all those. You know, we would try to do a good job. But, you know, we really my daughter really enjoyed that. And of course we did have fish, but they're gone and we had, um, birds and we had all kinds of animals. So she was happy to be home cause she loved her animals. Now, the reason I even bring that up is that us having all these animals was considered to be dangerous in China. And so in America, if somebody had, I know four cats is a lot. I understand. Okay. Not but really. <laughs> yeah, but you know, um, if somebody in America has a, a guinea pig or two and a fish and some fish and maybe a bird and, you know, a cat or a couple cats and that kind of stuff. In America, that's, you know, not really, you know, as long as you wash your hands and things like that, you know, it's not considered to be dangerous. But in, in China, it's considered to be eccentric or uh, frowned upon or dangerous or whatever.
1: And animals are considered dirty, probably.
2: Exactly. Right. Animals are are not really considered to be something that children should be around or sleeping with or so and you know and even like to the extent and i'll get into this later is the extent of we had a sandbox so you know we had two floors we have a patio and you know we're living in the city so the second patio you know i had a whole bunch of plants on it you know it was very beautiful and a big sandbox like at least 10 by 10 foot sandbox that was also a, something that people were like, you know, why are, do you have a sandbox? You know, that's weird. Where in America, or a lot of Americans would be, that's a normal thing for a kid to play in the sand. It helps with their developmental, yeah. you know, aspects. But, you know, we went and we got on the plane and flew to Beijing. And
1: and this is the number one children's hospital in a big city. It's supposed to be.
2: The capital of China, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. It's supposed to be a great place.
2: Right. You know, I got off the, you know, I, I mean, we're all really tired. I'm hungry. You know, we get off the flight in Beijing. We're walking to the airport. There's a Starbucks there. So I, I got a coffee, I think, to go and a sandwich or something. It took an extra five minutes. But later on, I would regret that. So we take the taxi and we, you know, we're pretty hopeful. You know, we're pretty, we're happy to be in Beijing. We're like, we're finally going to get the help, the answers we need, find out what's wrong with her. It's raining. And we, we pull up and we get dropped off and we go inside and it's like a zoo. There's, you have to take a number and this is before any triage. And we were number 60 where there's 60 people in front of us.
1: And there's no telling how long one person takes. It's either five minutes or two hours.
2: Yeah, there's no, no idea. And, you know, we had talked to some people there, how long you've been, been here for. And they're like, you know, it was hours and, you know, I don't think anybody said a day, but, you know, it was like six, eight hours, things like this. So, kids okay, so that's fine. I mean, that's not too bad, but there's no place to wait. So we had to wait outside in the rain.
1: Do they even have like structures out there to sit under or are you just on the side of the street? No, we're
2: under a, an awning. We did find some room under an awning and there's a little store there where you can buy, you know, like those little playground mats you can put in your house. Mm-hmm. The little, they interlock together. So that was the business, you know, that was the business model is that, you know, people wait outside, they go to the little store. At the hospital runs, and they buy the mats, and you sit outside. It's raining out, I and mean, we weren't being dripped on per se, but it was damp and cold, and not ideal for a sick child.
1: That just sounds horrible, and, and
2: cold. yeah, it was pretty bad. It, it, it was, you know, and then she's, you know, moaning and groaning, and she's, you know, she's not well. So, uh, you know, we're outside, and so I'm there with my myself, my wife, my mother-in-law, and Annie. So I, I told them, I said, I'm going to leave for a minute. I'm going to go inside and try to find a place, some place inside we can sit inside. So I, I left them, and I was gone five minutes or something, and I was actually able to find some place that we could sit inside, a free spot. But we had to be really quick and get there, or somebody would take it. So I came back outside, and they're gone. They're not there. So I'm like, well, you know, where are they? I don't know.
1: You just left for a few minutes to find a place, and now they're gone, and— it's scary as hell because you don't know something's happened, if somebody's taken them or whatever the the situation is.
2: Right. So I go back inside and I start searching around. And then, you know, somehow, I can't remember how, I, I found out that she's in the uh, the pediatric emergency room. So I I'm, I'm able to get into there. It turns out that when I left, she had a seizure and... I guess st- stroked out. You know, at this point, you know, I see her. She has oxygen on. You know, twisted up a little bit, not normal. And uh, she's laying on the bed. And doctor's like, this isn't good. So, of course, I had to go through the pay thing first.
1: Your daughter's yeah. on the brink of death, and you're having to run downstairs
2: and pay. Exactly. Go to the cashier, go to the pharmacy, run around, bring the stuff back, da, da 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 do all that. You know, they get her IV set up and all the other stuff that needed to happen. And, you know, they tell us that she needs to have a CT scan to find out what's going on in her head. So in China, this is normal. You know, I had to pick her up, carry her in my arms to the CT room.
1: No gurney. And that's no, no, no gurney. No, no. wheeling her or- No,
2: you know, and I've experienced this before in China. This is why I say you really need to have family. So, I mean, I wasn't really shocked by the CT scan thing, but I was, I was questioning, what am I doing here in this country? Mm -hmm. She did the CT scan and, uh, Kate came back and they said, you know, that she had had a stroke and she needed to go up to the pediatric intensive care unit upstairs so once again, that kicks off the payment thing, da-da-da-da, run around, blah-blah-blah-blah. So she gets sent up to the intensive care unit on the second floor. You had a locked door. We have no access. We can't see her. We're not allowed in.
1: So you have to sit outside.
2: Right, in the waiting room. So, of course, as you sit in the waiting room, or I sat in the waiting room, I start thinking about all this stuff. And I start getting really pissed off. You know, waiting in the rain, not having triage just the, the the dirtiness the general scumminess of it all The just the, on every level starting from our city to the the hospital in Yantai to the hospital in Qingdao to this hospital the best children's hospital in China she's in behind this locked door and it's still late at night because we had we had got to I'm sorry maybe I didn't mention we had gotten to Beijing at, at midnight so it was you know in the middle of the night in the rain you we were outside <clears throat> So this was like, you know, I don't know. I think it was like three o'clock, three thirty in the morning, where I had to vent. You know, I called my friends, but then I went outside, into the courtyard, and you know, my Chinese at that time was halfway decent, and I yelled at the top of my lungs, "You motherfuckers!"
1: Because you're, you're fighting against an ocean of, of shit. <sighs> well, moment. it was
2: just like, it, it, and actually, I had to take a break cause, but it was, like, you motherfuckers. I'm sure if if I was the boss of this hospital I wouldn't have had to wait with my daughter. You know, some things like this, you know, uh, how can you let children wait in the rain? How can you, you know, it's basically these kinds of things and I just like swore a lot, yelled a lot. I just had to get it out. And of course the, you know, the security guard comes over and tells me to stop and I'm like, you know, go fuck yourself. I'll do what I want. And I did it for 10 minutes, and then I realized, you know what? It's not going to make any difference anyways. And I stopped, went back inside.
1: I'm in utter disbelief of how this is acceptable. But then again, I can think of how my mother was in the hospital for the last two months and what was considered acceptable and not acceptable there. It wasn't nearly on the level of this. But, you know, my mom had a broken shoulder, fell and broke her hip a month later, you know, they had to use two orderlies and a nurse to get her up on a bedpan, and after three days they discharge her. So leaves mm. my sister and I scrambling to find a a nursing home, a physical therapy place to put her in. Otherwise, she, they just would have sent her home after three days with a broken shoulder and a broken hip.
2: You know, it just goes to show you a little bit of the different attitude that there is. Yeah. So, you know, Annie's in the. In the pediatric intensive care unit, I had already gone outside and done my little venting thing, um, trying to console my wife and my mother-in-law. And at this point, my wife's aunt had come also, so she had come on a later flight. And you know, we were there about a day or so. We, I think, we were allowed in to see Annie one time for five minutes during that time. But then they came out and they told us in the waiting room, in front of everybody, not in private, she's brain dead.
1: No brain activity?
2: No. First off, do you do that in a public waiting room with everybody with their little ears cocked? You know, basically, when the doctor comes out, moving closer so they can hear. That's the way it is, okay? Just a total lack of privacy. Second off, very bluntly, which is, I guess, appropriate, but once that happened, once those words were mentioned, it was surreal. My mother-in-law... And my wife and my aunt literally ran at full speed into the walls, threw themselves down onto the floor, you know, their heads, banging their heads into the floor. I mean, that's. Trying to jump out the windows?
1: This is a very extreme reaction. Not that losing a child or knowing that your child's brain dead doesn't constitute a, a horrible reaction, but this is. This is not Just something you are yeah. you were ready for.
2: No, I didn't expect this. So, of course, I couldn't even process it myself because I was trying to keep people from, you know, literally jumping out of the window. I mean, I mean, I'm not joking. Opening the window, putting their leg up on the sill. I mean, punching themselves in the face, screaming, yelling. I mean, it was I mean, it, it's I understand. I understand the pain. I mean, I was there. I, I experienced it. I, I know also. But. It was just like, you know, you really needed to say this in a public place with a lot of people around and maybe not sort of preface it with something, a little bit of hope or something. I don't know. It was just it was it was just crazy. You know, I got everybody calmed down. You know, we moved on to the next part, which was dealing with that.
1: You find out she's brain dead. Your wife and her family react in a way that you've never seen a human react before. Uh, is that normal for Asian culture to wail and and freak out with grief?
2: I'm not sure. I mean, I've been I've been around a couple funerals and things like that in China. I'll just tell you, you know for all you people out there that might be dating a Chinese or something, never give anybody white flowers because that's a that's a death flower in China. No, it, the, the wailing I expected. I, that's fine. It was the. I mean, you know, you know, concrete pillars in the room, people smashing their heads against them. You know, I mean, it it was just, I've never experienced anything like that before. And it it was just, I, you know, I had to, it was one of the many things that happened with this where I was not allowed to grieve.
1: You you had to help everybody. I had to take care of other
2: other people. Yeah.
1: All you care about is your daughter. You don't want to have to care about somebody injuring themselves, somebody trying to throw themselves out a window. It's. It really didn't allow you to process that
2: No, I mean and I have I think since then but it took a while, but Mm -hmm. so that all happened so now we have to deal with We the next day or the day after it it was a day or two. It wasn't immediate They had a a meeting was in a private room with the team now at this point the after Annie had gotten to this point the Beijing Hospital became very professional to a certain level Which was a little bit comforting. I I didn't feel like I was we finally got to this point, which was too late, obviously Or fate. I mean, maybe nothing could have helped. Let me take a a little side note on that, too I don't know if I should stick it in here or not, but you know how all this happened in China with all the hospitals I just mentioned and all the incompetency and all the crazy stuff and maybe lack of experience and everything Mm -hmm. That would not have happened because of this and this haunts me to this day my sister the person i love the most in my whole life other than my wife she had she's had uh, ovarian cancer for years and it had finally gotten to the point in the beginning of 2012 where you know she knew she was going to pass on she only had months to live i said you know debbie what can I do to help you? What, what's your dream? You know, what, what can I do? You know, and we talked a lot on the phone and she said, you know, I want to go with my grandkids to Disney World. And I said, OK, I'll make that happen for you. Send her money to go to Disney World, stay at the Polynesian, you know, all that stuff. It was like six thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. I can't remember, but it was enough for her to have airplane tickets, to trip, rent a car, all that stuff to do this. This trip was scheduled for I think it was May 31st. 2012 now of course i had not been to back to america and my wife and i or i had at least planned to go back to america with my wife and my daughter to go to disney world to see my sister but there was some fighting in my marriage one of the ways that it was dealt with on my wife's side was that she decided she wasn't going to go so we didn't go when I look back on that today, and you know, hindsight is 2020. If we had gone, we would have certainly been in America for three months if we came back. We probably would have come back in the middle of May. We would have been in America for June when Annie got really sick. We would have been in America for July when Annie died. If you look at the statistics for what Annie's problem was, which is supposedly juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, Overseas, outside of America, the fatality rate, mortality rate for this is about 25% or so. In America, it's four. So there's, it's another one of these things that, you know, haunt me. And and like when I mentioned about the Starbucks thing, you know, I said, oh, I got a, a, a coffee and a sandwich at the airport. Five minutes. Right, five minutes. But see, now I look back on that and I'm like... Maybe that five minutes would have made a difference at the hospital. I mean, who knows? Who knows what time frame would have changed if that five minutes was not taken by me getting a coffee and a sandwich.
1: Maybe you would have been number fifty and something. Who knows? Yeah. Right.
2: So I mean, there's just you know that's the thing when you have an event like this happen later on in life, you know, you examine everything and try to find out what you did wrong. What the reason, you know, what could have been different? You know, I mean, one of the things is that, you know, as a parent, you know, you you sort of feel like you have one job and that's to keep your children safe and healthy. And if you fail to do that, you question everything, everything about yourself to the core.
1: You have to, you have to second guess it because you have to think, what did I do wrong? Because this happened under my watch. And and I remember you mentioning the the bribe to the one doctor, the red red bag bribe. And you were like, did I not give him enough? Did was it because I was a foreigner or maybe it was because he didn't know what was wrong and he would have felt wrong taking your money because he couldn't have done anything.
2: Who knows? Right. And there was there was some talk about him bringing in uh, his mentor or whatever. And uh, that actually did happen at the end. And the mentor was actually stumped to in Chindao. But you know, if I had given him ten times or twenty times the amount that I offered him, maybe he would have done, you know, this extra effort. Maybe he would have helped us coordinate transportation, you know, instead of the way we had to do it. I'm sure, you know, driving in the car for many hours and then taking an air, airplane flight was not good for Annie. No. you know, I, I'm sure it wasn't ideal. I, I go back and I wonder, should I have given him more money? Should I have offered him more money? You know, should I have gone to the hospital administrators and offered money? What should I have done to make her priority one at least for a short period of time?
1: But you don't even know, though, that if you would have bribed this guy more, if he would have done anything, if you would have gone to the hospital administrators, if they would have helped at all. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know how they would have responded. It's... You want to make her priority one. I get that. But what does that entail in this crazy backwards culture of trying to get from point A to point B?
2: Well, And you're right. See, at that point, we didn't know that she was in danger of dying. We didn't know that it was supposedly juvenile rheumatoid arthritis with a 25, 25% mortality rate outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. We didn't know this. We thought it was infection. Allergies. We, 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 didn't, we thought it was something benign, relatively benign. So, I mean, so you're right for me to go back and second guess myself on, you know, getting the coffee or not paying the guy enough money or taking the car in the airplane or all the other little things that came up. It's all 2020. So it's so easy. But when you're in the middle of it, you're just trying to do the best you can. But as a parent, as someone who loses, you know, my sunshine, that's what I used to call her. Um. You can't help, at least for some time after this all goes down. I'm better now than I was, mm-hmm. but it's four and a half years later. You can't help to question everything, everything. No, no, you can't. You know, to continue on with the stuff at the hospital. So she's in pediatric intensive care. You know, she has been declared by them brain dead, dead. So the way that they de- that they declared this was by doing uh, a carotid ultrasound, which is an ultrasound on the neck and checking the blood flow to the brain and by checking her pupil response and some other like poking her with needles and doing the chest pressing on her sternum and things like that. That's how they wanted to declare her brain dead. So I didn't accept that. I told them, I said, you know, and this is probably wrong, but I said, I'm not going to let you declare her brain dead until you do an EEG, something that measures, or uh, maybe I'm getting the, the acronyms mixed up, but do a, a brain scan, I guess is what I should say, yeah. to see if there's any activity. They said to me, well, we can't move her, and that machine's in another building. Why, and I why, said, why, why you can't know they what? move her? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So I'm saying, so you want me to remove my daughter's breathing tube and whatever without doing that test? And they're like, yeah, we can't move her. I said, you know what? You're going to move her or you're going to move the machine. I'm sorry, is what I said. And I said, we can't do that. I said, we can't do that. I said, no, you're going to do it. So I think you've probably already heard me say a couple of times where I sort of had to be an asshole sometimes in China. Yeah. And the, the reason I had to be an asshole and I've, is because I had to deal with fucking assholes. Okay. Yeah. And the only thing that I could threaten them with is with causing trouble or embarrassing them or, you know, making them look stupid. I mean, it's all I could do. So it's like, you know, I'm like, I don't care that your machine's in another building. You need to move it. So they did it took them a day or so and they moved it. And, you know, it was legit. I mean, it, it you know, I mean, I don't know a lot about these machines, but it certainly looked like the proper machine and it was hooked up to her head and it showed, you know, what I would expect They left it on her for two days and you know, there was pretty much nothing. So that's when I could accept that she was brain dead with the clinical signs, like I mentioned, and uh, a test of some sort.
1: Who knows if all the other treatments she'd received up until this point contributed to this final stroke?
2: Yeah, I mean like the IV aspirin and all that, who knows? You know, if it really is juvenile rheumatoid arthritis You know the the outcome of that you know if you don't die so she had the systemic type so what it is your immune system attacks your joints Mm -hmm. in your body Um, that's the regular juvenile rheumatoid arthritis the systemic style your immune system attacks your organs Mm -hmm. so attacks your liver your heart your spleen you know all these organs in your body and when this happens you you know obviously your organs are damaged but it also causes issues with your blood, makes your blood very thick. That's most likely the reason why she stroked out. Mm-hmm. So, but
1: it all those things kind of make sense now looking at a lot of her symptoms with the sediment and the other problems she was having. So,
2: right. So then, of course, you know, we, you know, we find out that she's really brain dead, or at best that I can know. And then now we kick into, you know, what can we, how can we make this, how can we make this a good thing? So we, we try to find out how to uh, donate her organs mm-hmm. and uh, they checked into that. It was pretty quick and they pretty much said, you know, with all of the medication she's been on and the damage, uh, they they can't use anything. They can only use one thing, her corneas. So we had a meeting with the eye harvesting people, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And uh they came over, they explained the procedure to us. Basically they were gonna take her eyeballs out. They would put some glass in there. If the corners were okay, then we could Annie could help somebody else see. Uh before they did that we had to remove her in a in a her, her tube. Well so um,
1: after after they get this machine and you've found out that she truly is brain dead and you're the one that is doing all the troubleshooting to verify this to your satisfaction then you have to make that decision of what you want to do with with Annie
2: but then the next step even before they can do that is that we have to remove her tube her inner, she was intubated yeah. <laughs> okay so we had to remove her from, breathing tube
1: yeah from life support pretty much
2: right i don't know how this happens in america i don't i asked around and i haven't gotten a straight answer from anybody but the way it happened with us is that we went into the pediatric ICU. My wife and I held her in our arms at the same time together. We pulled the tube out. I don't know how it happens in America, but that's how it happened there.
1: I think if you requested to do it in America, they might allow you, but no.
2: Normally, it's not the parents that do that. So it was pretty much a gasp or two. But we were told that that was fake. And then, you know, that was it. Then we put her back in her bed or whatever. And we left. And then they came and did the, the cornea thing. And actually, we left the hospital. And we went to the local Buddhist temple. So now, you know, we're like five, six hour drive away from our house. We really didn't have a way to get any Back to our hometown. We inquired into that, you know, can we have her transported? And we were told, you know, there's no refrigerated way to do that. So this is, you know, the beginning of July, middle July. This is on the 14th of July that we pulled the tube out on Annie. So it was pretty hot. So we went to the local Buddhist temple and like a couple hours later, she showed up in a van. It was of course was not refrigerated. And they opened the door up and transferred her to a stainless steel stretcher now it was actually pretty nice i mean so what i mean by that is um they had her in a like a paper mache like coffin okay yeah that was actually very beautiful and we did open it and looked inside even though we were a little scared because of the eyeball part yeah. but they had her really looking beautiful in a white angelic like white gown uh, I was impressed. That was really uh, something we needed. The it's, way that they they did that for us.
1: So they they showed more respect for the dead.
2: Yeah, in a way, you know. I mean, it, you know, and I, I, like I said, once she got into p- pediatric ICU, there was a level of professionalism. There was a level. There was people that cared. We could tell. There was, there was people that cried with us. Things like that happened. It was just that when we first got to the hospital, it was so. You know the the queue and the people waiting in the rain. Uh, you know, so there was a big difference between the two. You know, but she was there at the crematorium, in the casket, in a white dress. She looked beautiful. Now we're gonna get her cremated. So I talked to the crematorium guy. I said, you know, we'd like the ashes back. And he says, well, there's not gonna be any. And I said, what? She says she she's too small. So I said to him, I said, well, can we put some fruit in there? And he likes fruit. We'll go buy some bananas. We'll go fill it up with things she likes, snacks, that kind of stuff, to give it some mass to end up with some ashes. And, you know, that's not going to work because it's, it's the bone, you know. So unless you're going to put meat in there with bone, you're not going to have any ashes. Basically, they were going to, you know, they wanted to cremate her with really nothing to walk away with. No proof she was going to be cremated. What do you mean? What what am I talking about proof? She's gonna be cremated. Well, I live in China for 10 years So just because you drop off a deceased relative At a crematorium and expect that that is gonna happen and that the body is not gonna be redirected for some other use Mm -hmm. If you think that that there is not a chance that that would be the case. You're an idiot
1: The hospitals already said her organs are can't be used for anything Yet.
2: No, but I mean for like studies yeah, for yeah. you know, who knows what
1: yeah, but but the just the simple fact that this could happen They could redirect her they could unknowingly try to use her organs somewhere else They could unknowingly exactly. just sell her for whatever whatever skin
2: reason. or who knows what I don't know just you know just uh, for For a school or for, you know, any was unique when she went out in public. She drew a crowd, you know, she was Beautiful, you know, blondish hair with very white skin. She was tall. She didn't look Chinese at all. She had a Chinese mother and a a Caucasian-American father. I mean, she drew a crowd wherever she went, even in 2012. Mm -hmm. Like, I used to draw a crowd in 2002 when I ate food. She still drew one in 2012, 2011. So, but it was like, I'm sorry, I, I need to see this happen. Looking back on this, I'm happy I did, but it caused some problems with me. You know, they disagreed. And I said, no, I I, I said, you're going to have to figure out a way for me to do this.
1: You want to watch the actual.
2: Right. It's the only way I could know that she's not being redirected. It's the only way I could know finally in the end where she was in the end. Because if I didn't do that, I, I would always I would always wonder.
1: So here you are being an asshole again to cause trouble to get your way.
2: Right. This took a little while and they finally came back and said, you know, I could go in. Followed her into the crematorium on the little cart, pushed her down the hallways to the door, put her on the conveyor belt. It's sort of like a roller belt that goes into the fire. Mm -hmm. I can see the fire inside. So we moved her onto the rollers. It was pretty much as I expected. And then we pushed her into the rollers. And as she got to the end, I'm expecting her to stay flat. Mm -hmm. But... As she got to the end, the casket tips up on end and falls in, which means that instead of her being cremated, you know, in a laying on her back or whatever, in a peaceful kind of like posture, her whole she body dropped. Yeah, that freaked me out a little bit. You know, and to be honest with you, for a year or two after that, I couldn't, if I looked at a fire, uh, not really, a like a on a stove top or anything like that, but something bigger, mm-hmm. like a campfire or something. Yeah. It was tough for me, but I'm past that now.
1: But you just had this image replaying in your head. This,
2: yeah, I mean, you know, I imagine if she'd go in there flat and and peaceful with her arms crossed or whatever, and, and you know the flames would just come around her and she would find, you know, that's what I imagined. I didn't imagine her tipping up on end and all scrunching down to the bottom of whatever, you know, the casket and falling into this pit that's not the way I had it in my mind. So it was a shock. And I went outside and my my wife and I walked, you know, some meters away from the crematorium and we waited for the smoke to come. And after a minute or two, there was black smoke that lasted five minutes maybe. And then it was over. And of course we went in and asked, is there any ash? And they said, no. And we left.
1: My wife is a big dog lover and we've, We have dogs, you know, they pass every 10 to 15 years and we're able to get the ashes of our dogs back When we have them cremated our dogs that way. Yeah, I
2: understand. I I I don't know why. Yeah That's that's why I really didn't I mean, I'm 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 at the crematorium, you know You know, I can't remember if I tried to Google or anything or something like that or find out But that's why I I had to see it because I just I was like this just doesn't seem right. How can there be no ashes?
1: Maybe there's other ashes in there, and they don't want to mix them and give you mixed. A- I don't,
2: I don't even know, but they could have given you something, anything. It, it, we would have been happy with a thumbnail, yeah. Full, you know. I mean, just something that we could bring back and put, you know, by her mother's house, and you know, by the apple farm, and
0: yeah,
2: or take to the sea. Annie loved the sea. We had, we left with nothing, and and it bothers my wife to this day. She's like, you know, if she wants to be where Annie is. We have to go back to Beijing. Mm-hmm. So after Annie passed, we uh, we went back to our home. You know, it was very difficult. And we I took all of Annie's things and put everything in her bedroom. So I had to search the house from top to bottom, find every crayon, every everything, move it where my wife couldn't see it. We actually only stayed there a couple hours, and then we went to my mother-in-law's house because my wife just couldn't deal with it. So, But at least we got the house to the point where it was cleaned up a little bit, and Annie's stuff wasn't everywhere. I mean, you know, a two and a half year old, you know, they have stuff everywhere. So now, as far as uh, the reaction afterwards is also rather strange. You know, Annie was uh, a sweetheart. You know, in the village, in like her my mother in law's village. It's a small village that's like surround. It's like in a valley surrounded by high mountains on each side, and up the sides of the mountains on each side is apple trees. Down in the middle of the valley is this village. There's a stream that runs through it. It's very beautiful. It's a close knit community. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's an apple farmer, everybody. they're all peasants. Mm-hmm.
1: So everybody knows each other's business. Everybody knows what's going on. A small town.
2: Exactly. When we went back just even a couple days after Annie passed away to the village, her name was taboo. You couldn't speak it. You know, in the past, I had bought pictures and given it to different family mem- members, aunts and uncles and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they were gone. Usually in everybody's house in China, in a peasant's house, uh, it's common to have like a big mirror that like covers the whole wall. Mm-hmm. And on this mirror, they put different sayings or pictures, family pictures and things like that. And, you know, prior to her passing, you know, there was pictures, you know, in on the mirror and so on. But after she passed, they were gone. It was almost like she never existed. And that is still the way it is today.
1: What would happen five years later when you would talk to some of these people and tell them about what happened?
2: Well, that was a tough thing because, so I'm going to give you the obvious, my family in America, totally supportive, not judgmental, showing grief, showing concern, supporting me.
1: Sympathy. Okay,
0: Yeah.
2: right. Sympathy, everything. Chinese friend and family, they would call her up, ask for the details, you know, what, you know, what happened. So that's not too bad. Right. But ask, you know, what happened? What happened at the hospital? You know, tell me this story, whatever. But then they would come up with ideas why it happened. And they were generally because we did something wrong. So, for example, you know, I think Annie had this because you guys had cats or I think Annie had this because there was some bad food that you were giving her. Did you let Annie eat ice cream or Oh, I know that you guys like to go to the pizza place. Pizza isn't good for kids. You shouldn't give pizza to kids. Or that sandbox you had, it's from the sandbox. Or guinea pigs, it's from the guinea pigs. Or, you know, you should have gone to Beijing sooner. Or, you know, we didn't know that it was a big problem until the end. So, I mean, all the kinds of things that we questioned ourselves. you know, they that's what they would come back with. And, you know, so generally they would get off. my wife would get off the phone with these people and she'd be in tatters. She'd be like, you know, they just told me it was my fault.
1: They're victim blaming. They're telling you there's no rhyme or reason at this point, but they're trying to find out through whatever weird cultural folklore why your, your daughters passed away and questioning your decisions and your, your life. It's, it's just wrong.
2: Well, you know, some people are going to get angry with me for saying this. You know, I I think there is a place, for example, like Chinese medicine, okay, in the world. Okay, I, I, I get it. It's been around for thousands and thousands of years. But you have to understand that, you know, you're dealing with a culture that thinks that because grapes look like the lungs, you should eat grapes if you have a lung problem. I mean, there's a simplicity to, especially when you get to a level of a peasant, or people that don't have education, I mean, there's a a big difference on the education level between America and China. And I'm not saying there's a lot of very intelligent people. Yes, I definitely have friends that are very intelligent. But the majority of people in China are not educated. And they, they have a lot of superstition, misconceptions. And sometimes it's easy to buy into these things because, you know, you're looking for an answer
1: you yeah. even bought into it your goldfish died you fell through a manhole you're exactly. you're, you're you're perceiving this as bad omens because you exactly. the, the culture's rubbing off on you i totally understand why you perceive it i mean we can sit back and be like that's just bad luck man but i can understand why you're buying into it while it's happening while it's going down
2: and even you know like in china there's like every 12 years is a special time in your life so you know when you're born then 12 years later then when you're 24 then when you're 36 and when you're 48 and so on, and you know, this happened on my 12th year, you know, my wife has already gone my past and looked at my past and well, I'm going to tell you when I was 12 years old, I was molested by a boy scout leader affected my life greatly at 24. I had my mother passed away uh, and so on. So, you know, there's, it's easy to buy into the stuff when you're looking for answers.
1: Yeah. When you're making these connections, definitely. Right.
2: So the, the family, it's like Annie never existed. I, I still cannot mention Annie's name in front of my mother-in-law. She's actually here in America right now helping us with uh, with one of my sons. We've had two kids since Annie passed, thank God. It's been a big help. We had a, a boy in 2014 and another boy in 2016. I'm also happy that they're both boys because I think if we had a girl, when my wife thought that, you know, when we first got pregnant with Nathan – Okay. My oldest, mm-hmm. you know, she was hoping he was a, uh, a girl. And of course she wanted to name him, Annie, you know, in some ways it's, I think it's a, I think it's a blessing. We have two boys now, but my wife and I really can have only been able to talk about her in the last year or so.
1: Did your and wife, did your wife behave the same way? Did she act like Annie never existed?
2: No, not really. But okay. I mean, yeah, because you couldn't mention her name. You couldn't look at her pictures. You couldn't, the itsy bitsy spider, you know, one of Annie's songs that could not be listened to. Cucumbers were a problem. Annie liked cucumber. I mean, it's just there was a lot of things that. To answer your question, was it like was it like she never existed? No, it wasn't like that. It was like she just uh, to exclude any anything that would remind my wife of Annie, and that's one of the reasons we're in America now, because being in China, there's too many memories, especially our hometown. To mention, counseling, if you have a death of a child or anything like this in your life, it's going to take you some time to find somebody that's going to really help. It's valuable. It works. Mm -hmm. And it takes time. You know, my wife, I think I mentioned that we didn't come to America because of pet fighting in our marriage. So after Annie had passed away, you know, I I stuck with her and I guess she stuck with me. And uh, we've gone to a lot of counseling including couples counseling and we're closer now than we were before. So like some people will say to me from bad things, good things can happen. I can't really think of too many good things that really happened from all this, but I can tell you that I'm closer to my wife now than I ever was.
1: You, You went through something traumatic. I mean, as much as that can crush you and crush a relationship, now you've been through it.
2: Well, and it's strange because, and I guess it's a misconception is that, When a couple loses a child that they have a really high divorce rate and there was actually a study like in the 70s or something like that that indicated it was like 90 percent or some really high number. You know, they've done studies in the meantime and it turns out that actually couples that go through a tragic loss like this actually have a lower divorce rate than the norm. You know, as low as like sixteen percent compared to you know forty or fifty for the average couple. You know that grieving together, and also the part where the couple knows that, in some at some level, that if they stay together, that the memory of the child is maintained. I am grateful for that for that part of this.
1: There was some things that stuck out to me uh, about. When you spoke about your daughter, you were talking about the way she looked, her hair, uh, the way she, the things she liked. Is there anything that you want to talk about
2: as far as her and her personality? And sure, should have done that. So you know, I mean, Annie loved books. So I used to, we used to go to the bookstore. I used to buy books at the bookstore, buy them Amazon, and so on. And we used to spend a lot of time reading books together. And it's a little bit weird because. See, here's the thing. So she lives in China. Mother speaks Chinese. Her grandmother speaks Chinese. Everybody around her speaks Chinese. I'm the only one that speaks English. And I'm the only one that reads to her. And Annie spoke English. She didn't speak Chinese.
1: Crazy. But yeah.
2: You know, so it was because we used to read books. We used to take care of the pets together, take care of the guinea pig. you know, all these things. We used to, you know, now my wife and, and, and so on did a lot of stuff with Annie too. But Annie would listen and understand chinese but verbalization was in english which i thought was you know just a little bit maybe telling that we were really close she enjoyed you know we lived across the street from a shopping mall and you know her favorite thing was to go over there you know obviously with us and go to the makeup department and she'd sit on the chair in the makeup department and you know put makeup on i guess thinking you know here's the here's the crazy thing about this okay So I just told you the story about the makeup, right? And then the first thing that enters my mind is, wow, that's dirty. Maybe that's where this came from.
1: Yeah, you're second-guessing again.
2: And I'm jumping around a little bit, but this is what happens today. Like with my sons, a cold is a threat. A fever is a threat. Throwing up is a threat. A rash is a threat. You know, so before Annie passed, oh, you know, she has a cold, she'll be fine. Oh, she has a little bit of a rash, she'll be fine. Or any child right yeah. but now every medical indication of anything is a threat mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll be honest with you we're at the pediatrician's office at least once a week mm-hmm. for one or the other of my kids and you know I try to keep it under control but my wife she likes to be there if my son throws up more than you know a couple times we're there he's got a fever of a hundred you know point zero we're there
1: and your doctor probably thinks that you're a, a helicopter parent. That's overreacting. no, no, she doesn't. She
2: yeah. knows everything. Okay, good. Um, our doctor is really cool. She's like the best, and she she knows about Annie. She helped us get um, our oldest son uh, screened for juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and autoimmune disorders. She gets it. Sometimes like I just had to go to the hospital last night with my youngest because he couldn't stop coughing. And you know, we called the pediatrician, the pediatrician said take him to the hospital, fine. You know, when I go to the hospital, you know, what's going on? Da da da, da and I'll tell them and then I'll tell the people at the hospital, say, you know, I said I just want you to know we had a daughter that was two and a half years old that passed away a couple years ago. So we're sort of hyper vigilant. And they get it. They nobody's ever given us any trouble. They're really understanding. You know, you're
1: you're in America too, where children and health is important,
2: you know, but I'm better, you know, this is what I'm saying this is like a, it's like this process and getting through this and it's like this cloud, there's like a a, a cloud over my life now it's, and it's been thicker before it's better now, but it, it, it paints everything from my kids being sick to a memory to, you know buying a coffee at Starbucks, to seeing a fire, to eating a cucumber, to looking at the moon, my daughter loved the moon, to memory, everything. It's just like this cloud, and it's, it's bizarre, and it's painful. But the thing is it's to try to remember the good things. Yeah. The, here's the thing about the good things that are hard, is that, and I don't know, I'm not, I didn't make this up. This didn't come from me. But somebody explained the death of a loved one this way. You know, your loved one is a painting. It's like if you set the painting out in the yard and it snows and and you remember the paint, you know, you, you initially remember the painting very well, but as there's more and more snow that builds up on this painting, you you can't remember the details and you, you remember more, you forget more and more about what it was like, what this person was like. And that's sort of what I, I go through with Annie is that I, to really remember about her, I have to really concentrate and think because and maybe it's my own choice by mistake but you know it's easy for me to remember the painful things the joyful things i have to really think about like you know dancing the hokey pokey with her or
1: or singing the itsy bitsy spider with her
2: right right or you know one time she got this christmas gift it was like two things that you can bang together and then she took a bag of potato chips and proceeded to like Pulverized the whole bag of potato chips with it. You know things like this, or her first Christmas. You know when she came out of the door and saw the, her tree for the first time when she was, you know, just over, just over two. You know, she was a really cool kid. She was really friendly, and um, I miss her. You know, but I, I have these two boys now. You know, like like I I sort of mentioned before is that before we had my two sons, now I was not scared to die because I was said to myself. You know, if I pass away, I almost wanted to die. You know, if I pass away, I'll see her again. I, I, I welcomed it. I was like, you know, yeah, uh, at least I'll be able to see her again. But now, you know, I have these two little kids. I understand, you know, if I pa- I'm 52 and if my sons are three years and three months. So if I were to pass away now, you know, I might get my wish possibly, who knows, to see Annie again. But then my two little boys would be without a father. And that would be tragic. You know, it, it's, it's tough to try to figure out,
1: it's, I'm just babbling now. No, no, you're not. You're, you're putting, you're just putting together how this has impacted you. And like any of us, when we have something, some major event, it changes us. It changes everything we do, the way we see the world. But hopefully with time and understanding, it won't define us and who we are. It's just part of us. Does that make sense?
2: It does. And that's slowly where I'm getting to before it did define me. Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, even doing this podcast, I said to myself, why am I doing this? I mean, what's going to come from this? Why? What's the positive thing of doing this? You know, it's part of a process. Yeah. And two years ago, it wouldn't have been the right time.
1: It's just everything. You're, you have to process, and from what you said, you weren't even able to process it when it happened because you were having to deal with everybody else. You were having to deal with paying bills, getting transportation. You, were, you weren't even able to take in what was happening as it was happening. So now in the aftermath, you're literally grieving and dealing with the the stress and the trauma After the fact, because you weren't even able to process it while it was happening. It just sounds like you were sort of deadened at that moment and just went into autopilot. Now you're able to look back and understand and even talk about it.
2: Right. And before Annie passed, uh, I was in a, my wife was abusive to me. So during this time, you know, Annie saw a lot of crazy stuff. And uh, so after Annie passed away, all my friends are like, you got to leave this woman. Um, she's not good to you. She's hit you. She, whatever. And, uh, you know, that's when I told him. I said, I can't, I can't go. I have to, I have to take care of her. She was such a basket case afterwards. And a lot of her response to all this was lashing out at me, blaming it on me. You know, it's because you had fucking Guinea pigs or, or whatever. And, um,
1: and most men uh, would have turned and left. Most lesser men would have been gone.
2: I couldn't go. So, so then after six months, she was better and I still hadn't really processed anything. So I'd lost my job cause I, I used to, you know, I, I had to take care of her. I I went from making 200 and something thousand dollars a year to 12 literally. So, so this is like, so this happened, you know, July of 2012. So 2003, January of 2013, my wife, hit me again or whatever. And I told her, I said, you have to stop. You can't do it anymore or I'm going to have to go. And she said she would. We came back to America and uh, it did continue. Finally, she didn't have any friends. So I went to a church here and found some Chinese friends, you know, had the kind of, hopefully the kind of morals that I thought might help her. She became friends with them. And she also started going to counseling because that was one of the things I said I really needed her to do things got better but didn't really improve that much and then January of 2016 we're driving driving in the car and she beats the crap out of me when I'm driving the car and I pulled over and I called the cops and she was arrested for domestic violence endangering the welfare of a child and everything because my my son was in the car so she had to go through all the court stuff and whatever, and uh, it was all reduced to violations because if it stayed higher than that, she might be deported. So I had to pay a lawyer, and it's funny I had to pay both sides of it, you know, crazy. But <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
2: um, got everything reduced to violations. We can, we found a really great counselor, marriage counselor. The guy's gives a shit. I mean, he'll like send me texts out of the blue. How you doing? Send text to her. We still have our problems today, but they're a lot better. We still have our boys. I'm back to making money again. But my health is bad. My health has gone way downhill in the last four years. My doctor says it's from stress. And it could be from being on the receiving side of an abusive relationship. It could be from my daughter dying. It could be from a lot of things. It's all but, of them. It's all yeah. of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on an insulin pump now. I have... Uh, a really bad sleep disorder. I I can't, I'm a really bad insomnia because, you know, I I lay down at night and all this shit goes through my head. I'm I'm working on it, but my wife is better. You're working on it, man. Well, and that's sort of what matters to me because, you know, she's got to take care of my kids. She's 30 and I'm 52 Mm -hmm. and, uh, she's the one that's going to be here later. I need her to be, you know, to be able to do that. Yeah. So that's about it, Justin. I don't know. I mean, you know, the I, there is some good that came out of this. Yeah. You know, my and yeah. even the, for example, my wife has an idea at least about a higher power. I mean, Justin, you you know, I mean, I've listened to enough of your shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you know the whole God thing and everything. It could be a bunch of bullshit. Who knows? But. You know, I mean...
1: It helps some people. (laughs) It gives some people hope, and that's all that matters.
2: Right. Well, Mm -hmm. and some idea of a higher power, because, I mean, Justin, you must be the same as me. You know, if you go out and you look at a beautiful sunset or something like that, what? how did this happen? You know? Is it God? Is it Jesus? I don't know if I buy into that either. But is it mathematics? It could be. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, but there's something... You know, did all the fish die for a reason? No, it's probably because you know the heater broke or something. I don't know. Yeah, you know,
1: it's one of those things where you have to put order to chaos, and we have to believe in something, in even if it's mathematics. You, you got to have something there.
2: You can see the kind of person I am. If I go to a meeting, I want an agenda. I want to be pre- I want to be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I I like order, or I can't deal with it mm-hmm. and. The whole thing with Annie, I mean, here's the thing. My whole life, I could fix everything. I mean, from the point up to the day that Annie died, if I had a problem, and I don't care what it was, a traffic ticket, a problem with uh, a contractor working on my house, a problem with a computer, a pro- I could fix it.
1: The the New York is bleeding through. <laughs> yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, but it, But, you know, so then this happened. And I couldn't fix this. Mm -hmm. And then I've come to realize, you know what? There's a lot. I can't fix my diabetes. There's a lot of things I can't fix. I'm like, I'm older now. I can't. Wow, is this what being old is? Is that you can't fix things? Yeah. You can't push through problems. You don't have the energy. You don't have creative thinking that's needed to fix problems. This was the first problem in my whole life that I couldn't fix. That's one of the biggest issues for me. Why couldn't I fix this? And my daughter died. So
1: I, I think you did everything in your power That was humanly possible and I don't think bribing a doctor or Not getting the Starbucks or anything like that would have changed a thing
2: In the whole Starbucks thing is like last night my son wanted, you know My wife wanted to take my son to the hospital, which is a total false alarm fine I didn't eat anything So I'm like if we're gonna be there for several hours, we should stop and get something So we stopped at McDonald's, you know crap food, but whatever The drive-through was filled up with people so it took longer than expected my son's in the back seat he's fine right but the whole time i'm in the drive-through i'm like this is taking too long i shouldn't be doing this i should be going right to the hospital because i never know what's going to happen is my taking away 10 minutes that i shouldn't you know what i'm trying to say yeah it's, it's crazy
1: exactly and you know maybe to make yourself feel better go to the hospital first or go wherever you need to go first and while you're sitting in that lobby while you're sitting in that waiting room Eh, maybe then you can go get your mcdonald's maybe that's the compromise you know (laughs) no you're right no
2: so then i you know then i'm like am i being selfish Am i shouldn't be you know so i don't everything
1: is questioned now it's it's sad because you shouldn't you shouldn't have to think about that
2: well thanks a lot thanks for letting me get it down someplace i really appreciate it
1: no problem man Uh, thank you so much for sharing it's an incredible story